Hello and welcome to Embassy City Church Podcast. This is a place where all people can experience the love of God through the Word of God. Our prayer is that you will be inspired and transformed. Thank you for joining us today. So I got 36 minutes on the clock and here's what I'm going to attempt to do. I want to unapologetically change the way that you think about absolutely everything. Are you with me? And I'm going to try and do it in 35 minutes and 45 seconds. And uh, so uh, I'm going to speak quickly. I'm sorry if you don't understand the English, uh, but we're going to go for it. We're going to turn to a parable, my favorite parable, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. It's going to come up on the screen and it says this. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and and gained five more bags. So also the one who had two bags gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and began to settle the accounts with them. And the man who received the five bags of gold brought the other five and says, Master, he said, you entrusted to me five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's Happiness. I know just beautiful words. Another version says, come and share in my joy. The man with two bags of gold also came and says, Master, he says, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replies and says, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Now notice that that sentence finishes with a question mark. It doesn't finish with an exclamation mark. It finishes with a question mark. And that question mark changes the entire meaning of this parable. And it's of great importance. I actually want to hang this whole sermon on a question mark. You knew that I harvest why I have scattered no seed. Uh, you knew our harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not ske- uh, scattered no seed, question mark. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. How about that for good news on a Sunday morning? You feeling better about your life already? Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to, instead of coming to you this morning with a sermon title, I want to pose uh, a question 
And over the next few moments, I want us to almost solve this question. And I think how you answer this question has the most profound implications on every area of your life. So here we go. Is life a gift or is life a test? Is life a gift or is life a test? How you answer that question when you lay your head on your pillow at night in the depths of your soul will have profound and long-lasting implications on how you relate to everybody in your life, how you relate to the life that is unfolding in front of you, how you relate to yourself, and ultimately how you relate to God. Is life a gift or is life a test? Are you with me? So this is... um, Jesus, through the New Testament, tells 46 parables, and this is the 45th. So we are drawing to the end of all that Jesus has you know, begun to do and to teach. Uh, and how many of you know that when you know that you've only got a few moments left to share something, you normally begin to stress the things that are most important? Like you don't mix your words when you know you are limited for time. And so when Jesus begins to introduce these last few parables, essentially what Jesus is doing is he's trying to, he's trying to remind or trying to, uh, I guess in many ways, make clear. He wants to ring in the hearts and the minds of his followers exactly what he wants to make clear. And so what happens in these last few parables are in many ways, uh, I guess, a directive for how Jesus wants us to view this life. And up till this point, Jesus has been ministering for three years and he's been doing like all of the normal Messiah stuff. Like he has been amassing a crowd. He has been preaching for a revolution. Uh, He has been opening blind eyes and deaf ears. He's been healing the sick. He's been healing lepers. He's walked on water. He has thrown the largest church barbecue of all time, the feeding of the 5,000. How do you know that was a good Sunday right there? Free food for everyone. And so up till this point, the disciples think they know where this is going. They literally think that they, this is like they're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They think that finally in this Messiah figure, this prophet, that the Hebrew people are going to be reinstituted in many ways as the leaders and no longer they're going to be occupied by, by Roman authorities. And so in many ways, a lot of these disciples even think up to this point that this is even going to become a violent revolution, which is why when the centurions come and arrest Jesus the night before uh, his crucifixion, Peter draws his sword and goes a, takes a swipe at the centurion's ear because for Peter, he thinks that Jesus is about to get his brave heart on. He's like, this is finally the moment, we've, this is the gladiator moment. But, but actually in the last few parables, the whole thing begins to tilt. The disciples think it's heading one way, but Jesus begins to introduce with his parables the idea that actually this is going to head in an entirely different trajectory. You think this is, this is going to end with me in many ways entering my victory, but this is actually going to end with my death. You think this is going to be our conquest, but actually this is going to end with my suffering. You think that this is going to end with us somehow now being a political party, but this is actually going to end with my absence. 
my death, my burial, my resurrection and my ascension. So notice for Matthew 25 in this parable that the master is absent for the majority of the story. It's like Jesus is saying, you think it's going to go this way? In fact, sorry guys, it's going this way. It's not going to end with my presence, but it's actually going to end with my seeming absence. And he begins to, in a subversive way, bring about an idea to these disciples on how he wants them to view this life in his absence. Now notice that this, this, this I don't know if you spent any length, length of time in church, but most of the time we hear this parable uh, preach something like this. You know, the meaning of this parable is that you've been given a gift and you better do something good with the gift that you've been given. Otherwise, you're going to get it. Like, are you with me? Like, if you do something good with what you've been given, you can go where there's chubby babies and fluffy clouds. <laughs> or if you don't do something good with what you've been given, then you're going to go somewhere with a slightly warmer climate. And I'm not talking about Texas. <laughs> I'm talking about the place where only cats and cowboy fans belong. <laughs> 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 Heresy! <laughs> Come on, how do you know cats don't go to heaven? Come on, if you write nothing, just write this down in capitals. They are of demonic honor, origin. Cats don't go to heaven and neither do cowboy fans. Go birds. <laughs> I'm trying my best to like fit in with like American. I've never watched an NFL match in my life. I will do it though. Go birds. But that's how we've heard it. We, we, is that the best that Jesus can do though in his last few remarks before he's about to leave is to just download this do more, try harder message. Like with the, in, the, in the penultimate parable, is that really the best that the saviour of the world can do is that if you better do something good with what you've been given, otherwise you're going to get it. If you do something good, you can go to where there's chubby babies and fluffy clouds, or if not, then you can go somewhere with a slight, slightly warmer climate. Now, I could probably preach a message like that. We could probably end this service with a sense of faith and enthusiasm that we're going to go and do more. But I promise you this, you will end up more depressed on Tuesday morning than ever when the motivational fumes of a sermon like that run out is that the best that Jesus can do or is something more subversive going on in this parable notice that this parable does not begin with any instruction any ultimatum or any directive it begins with a master who gives his stuff away and in fact, these talents, this is not like, this is not pocket change. The equivalent of this five, this two, and this one talent amassed together would be a multi-million dollar budget or a multi-million dollar gift that he gives these, these three men. So somehow this master has amassed huge amounts of wealth and now just wants to give his stuff away. It's a gift. I mean, this parable is the story of abundance being given to other people. It's the story of unmerited favour being delivered into the laps of people that least deserve it. Notice these are servants. So the master of this household has bypassed his son. He has bypassed his legacy to include servants in his wealth. How many of you know right there that's the gospel? Right 
How many of that's why we come to church, we raise our hands and we get excited because we were servants that have been invited into the inheritance of the Son? Come on, who knows that's good news right there? That we are a people who have been invited to participate in the inheritance that belongs only to the Son. And this master loves to give his stuff to servants. Belongs, it begins with a gift. In fact, let's be honest, it doesn't even begin with a gift. It begins with irresponsibility. Like who gives millions of dollars to servants? Unproven. It begins with irresponsibility. Can you see how risk is like hardwired and baked into this parable? He doesn't, he doesn't give them any instruction, doesn't give them any directives. There's no talents for dummies. There's no on like, you know, they, they're nothing to Google on how to find out what they do with these talents. They are apparently the only instruction, apparently the only, the only imperative really in this parable is that these three men were meant to receive what they were given. There's no plan. Now, I don't know about you, but that, I find that incredibly encouraging. There's no plan. Because I have spent my life trying to find the plan. Are you with me? Like, Lord, what's the plan, Lord? What's, what's thine divine will, Lord? Like, Lord, if you could just come to the edge of my bed and do the river dance and just kind of do whatever it is that you do, play the, the, the magical harp and speak into thine ear. Like, like I've spent my life trying to find the plan. Anybody with me? And what's happened is that then what's happened in my life is that I've ended up feeling like somehow that life is like some sort of tightrope. Now, what's the plan, Lord? Because I, what, what do you want me to do? Like, what do I eat for breakfast? Like, what color socks should I wear? And what happens is we end up thinking that life is like some sort of tightrope. Like if we, if we make the wrong decision in some way, we're going to slip and we're going to miss out on destiny. But nowhere in the Bible does it describe your life like a tightrope. Instead, it implies things like the verse that says that his boundary lines are falling in pleasant places. In other words, not like a tightrope that we miss. Your life is a lot more like a field to explore. That he actually empowers you to make decisions and to put your foot down and actually begin to go for an exploration and explore the territory that God has given you. He actually empowers you to take steps. And the good news of this, the good news of the gospel is that actually even if we put our foot in the wrong place because of his grace and kindness he is able to work all things together for good so somehow even the land beneath my feet begins to reorganize the tectonic plates begin to move and we still end up stepping into all that God has so can I encourage you right off the bat before we even get to the end of this morning's service make a decision God has empowered you to make a decision you don't need to feel like you are trying to walk some sort of tightrope he has empowered you to explore the life and the territory that he has given you can I free you there is no plan instead there's a story I made a decision I was going to stop living like there was a plan and start living like there was a story you know the big difference is that when you live like there's a plan you're constantly trying to live by achievement and destination. But when you live like there's a story, what becomes more important is theme. And when you look at the New Testament, what we're promised and what we 
are invited into is less destination and achievement and more theme. Faith, hope, love, grace, peace. Story gives room for triumph and tragedy. It gives room for characters to sometimes leave our story and then at other times to re-enter our story. It gives, it gives room for there for, to be suffering and tears and to realise that you still haven't missed the grand plot line that God is telling for your life. It gives room for you to have highs and to lows and to not feel like somehow you have missed it. Come on, life is a story. That's why Paul, I don't know if you've ever realised, but when Paul writes his New Testament letter, Think of the breadth of those letters, Romans, Colossians, Corinthians, Ephesians. The content is so different. He talks about marriage and church politics and the gifts of the Spirit. The, the breadth of the content of the, letters, of the letters has much variety, but he introduces himself in every letter with the same opening remarks, grace and peace to you. In other words, what he wants to do is he wants to remind his readers that before we address content, which is sometimes encouragement and sometimes it's, um, it's directional, before his readers begin with content, he wants to remind them of the theme that it's written in, grace and peace. Can I encourage you that themes are way more important in your life than mere achievements? Let's live like this is a story and stop trying to find the plan. The master in this parable doesn't give them a plan. Apparently, he only expects them to receive what they have been given. Can I encourage you that maybe the secret of life is simply to receive what you've been given? To receive it. The amazing thing about this parable, this is where it starts to, this is where it blows my mind, is it says that the master gave them his property. So it's not just like some change in a bag. He gives them his property, his estate, his, 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 the mass of wealth that he has, he has generated. He gives it all to them. He gives them his property. You see, what Jesus is hinting at here is he's actually given a throwback, so to speak, to the original Genesis story where God creates this earth. He creates the planet and he puts Adam and Eve at the centre of this garden and invites them into his property, his home. I hope you realise that when, when God created the earth, he wasn't just creating a home for Adam and Eve, he was creating a home for himself. This was meant to be the eternal dwelling place where divinity and humanity dwell together in perfect harmony. Earth was, earth was God's home. It was not just ours. And so Jesus is hinting, he's alluding, this is a throwback, this is an echo of Eden in this parable, about these three men that are invited to participate in his property. So I read this parable and I'll be honest, it causes me to ask some big questions. Like I hear the hint to Eden and the fact that we are invited to participate and I can't help but start to ask some big questions. Like, what is the point of all this? Like, why are we here? What, what's, what is God's vision? Like, is God's vision heaven? Or is God's vision earth? Like, is God's vision there and then where there's chubby babies and fluffy clouds? Or is God's vision here and now? 
does the, is the New Testament, is it there to make me more spiritual or is in fact, is it meant to make me more human? Like is the church, or, and the church, the reason we gather, are we God's people rescued from the world in holy huddles and Christian cuddles? Or are we actually God's people rescued for the world? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, does the gospel, is the gospel the good news of my evacuation or my emergence? You know, and I, you know, you know, like, and the truth of it, do we come and is our mission to plunder hell to fill heaven? Or, in fact, is it also, and maybe more importantly, to plunder heaven and to fill earth? Which is why when the disciples pray, ask Jesus, how do we pray? He says, you pray, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, I think sometimes what's happening in our Christian culture is we've, we've started the story in the wrong place. We start the story so often in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve eat of the apple, sin enters the world, corruption and brokenness and distortion enters the, the, the scene of humanity and suddenly everything twists and turns and the trajectory begins to change. But how many of you know you don't start a story in chapter 3? Has anyone ever started a story in chapter 3? It's like when you miss the beginning of a movie because you were getting the popcorn and you miss context. Because context is always given in the first few chapters and the Bible doesn't start with a problem. It starts with a God who creates giraffes and whales and stars and just says, this is, this is, this is good. <laughs> he creates like, like goldfish and he creates rivers and things. This is, this is really good. He, he just spins planets as you do, just, just like that into like Saturn into space and galaxies. And this is getting, this is getting really good. He creates mankind. He creates Devante and things. Well, this is average. <laughs> it's not over yet. We've got some improvements to make on that model. But it's, the story starts with a God who is very, very happy with what he's made and invites these two people into what he has made and very happy in. Now, Genesis 3 happens, but that's not where the story starts. It starts with the announcement that here is where the magic happens. Where soil and spirit are one, where heaven and earth are one where humanity and the divine dwell as one. It's the story of a gardener that is planting a garden behind all we see and do and is constantly inviting you and I to participate in what he is growing. Yeah. Do you know, the Garden of Eden, do you know, though it was perfect, it was not yet finished. That's why he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, essentially to let, let's extend the boundaries of this garden. That's, that's the mission. Go and create a world. Go and create societies. Go and create civilizations. Go and create cultures and continue to invite people into this garden. That's, that's the Eden story. And I don't know if this, that's the first two chapters. I don't know if you've ever read the last two chapters of the Bible, but if we were to fast forward through all the books of the Bible and get to the last two chapters, we would find another garden. And this is the garden city, the new Jerusalem coming from heaven to earth where, G, where God makes the announcement that finally my dwelling place is with my people. Heaven comes to earth. So the story starts in a garden. The story ends in a garden. The first two chapters, the last two chapters. Do you know if you took out sin from the Bible, you'd have only those four chapters? You'd have a pamphlet. 
<laughs> how many of you know, for those of us that struggle to read the Bible in a year, let's be honest, how many of you know it would have been so much easier if it was just a pamphlet? We would have no trouble on you version doing our Bible reading in a year. We could have done it in a day, four chapters a day, easy. It starts in a garden, it ends in a garden. It ends here. The story starts here and ends here. Do you know what I think? The, the, the problem is, many, much of the time is in our Christian culture is we, if we've ever, ever responded to a, a gospel message or been in services where we've heard it preached, often what happens at the end of the meeting, we would hear something like this. If you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you would wake? Now that's a profound question of supreme importance, but that's not the question the New Testament solves. The New Testament, in fact, asks you this question. If you were to wake tomorrow, what kind of life are you going to live? Now, now there's, there's eternal life and there's consequences for the decisions we make today. But ultimately, the priority and the emphasis is right here, right now. There is a there and then, but the most sacred thing we have is right here, right now. Here is where the magic happens. And Jesus tells this story of a master that disappears and entrusts these three men with his stuff and just invites them to participate in what he has given them. That's the truth of the whole story. Now, now, now notice, where, notice where the story ends. It starts with unmerited reckless, irresponsible generosity, and it ends with a master that almost can't wait to come home. Like he's been absent from the story on this journey, but he can't wait to return. And it's like he can't wait to include people in his happiness, in his joy. So I hope you understand actually that joy is the engine of the universe. Joy is what makes the, the earth spin on its axis. We have a happy God who continually wants to pour out his own joy and invite people into his own happiness. That, my friends, is what it means to be God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in eternal, everlasting relationship. When we say in the beginning God, we could, we could say in the beginning the relationship. The reason you are so relationally orientated is that you were created in the image of a relational being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in infinite, unending enjoyment of one another. Other orientated, selfless love pouring forth between one another in this eternal dance of love and kindness and joy and happiness in one another. But it was that good that God said to himself between three people, we can't keep this to ourselves. So the circle opened and you were created and the ever ending, never ending invitation to you is to come and enjoy that relationship. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. If, if Devontae and I were to go for a walk this evening in the very hot, <laughs> you have to understand, I'm from England. I thought that yellow thing in the sky just told you when to wake up and just lit the day. I didn't realise it actually gave warmth. 
and I have a few problems up here, so I had a dangerous day yesterday. Um, but if Devontae and I were to go for a walk, and uh, we were just walking through, I don't know, walking at a distance, looking at the Dallas skyline, and the sun is setting, it's a, just a beautiful night. Not sure, sure why I'm with Devontae, not my wife, but we're there. And if I was to say, as the sun just sets over Dallas, and this magical moment, if I was to turn to Devontae and say, how beautiful is this moment? Again, I'm not sure why I've picked Devonte, not my wife, but I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this illustration now. So, so, so wrong. I mean, he's a good friend, but he's not my wife. So if I was to say, turn to him and look at Devonte and say, how beautiful is this moment? <laughs> what I'm not doing is asking for a response. What I'm doing is trying to include him in the joy that I'm experiencing in that moment. That's, my friend, is what existence is all about. It's about a God that is trying to constantly invite us into the joy that he is experiencing in that moment. How How many of you are parents here? How many of you know, as a parent, there is nothing more... Nothing lights you up more in life than standing back, maybe on a Sunday like today, and watching someone that you love and you know participate and play and enjoy spending time with your children. You stand back at a distance and your soul lights up as you watch someone else enjoy what makes you most happy. That, my friends, is the salvation story. Our salvation is not just what we escaped. It's what we've been included into. And what we have been included into is a place where all you truly desire is in fact of infinite, unending supply. All the grace, all the joy, all the happiness, all the contentment, all the fulfilment, all the abundance, all the peace that your soul craves is of infinite supply in that relationship. And that's the point of it all. This master returns, and maybe the keys can come up. This master returns in happiness and can't wait to like invite these three guys into his joy. The first one has turned five talents into 10. The second one, two into four. And it's, he's like, enter into my joy. But how do you know the story doesn't end there? Sadly, it does take a twist. We have this third gentleman that shows up. And this third servant says to his master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've scattered no seed. And the master says to him, you knew me to be a hard man? Question mark. No exclamation mark, no full stop. You need me to be a hard man? Really? Really? You need me to be a hard man? Like I read this story and I think, how did this third guy get this so wrong? Like it starts with irresponsible generosity. It ends with inconceivable joy. And you knew your master to be a hard man. How did you get this so wrong, my friend? 
You see, what's happened is that the third man has reduced his master down to the size of his own fears. He had reduced his master's character and nature down to a mere reflection of himself. He saw God as a hard man because he was a hard man. And the sad thing is, is that even this morning, in a passionate, life-giving church like this, there are many of us that have reduced God down to the size of our own fears. And we mistrust that God could really be that good. We, we mistrust that He really could have been that generous towards us and we mistrust His nature and His character and think He can't really be that happy and our expectation is that when He returns to our life, He comes as an angry boss looking for us to have done something productive with the life that we have been given. When all along, the only thing, the only imperative was that we would receive that, that we wouldn't bury it, that we would actually receive that that we've been given and enjoy it. You know, this parable is a desperate plea at the end of Jesus' life that we would abandon our cynical ways, that we would throw off the tyranny of the lie that God is somehow angry with us and we would live in the benevolence of a master that just loves to give his stuff away. So apparently this, here's the truth though, this parable, God so respects our freedom that He will allow us to participate in the story we tell ourselves. Is life a gift or is life a test? This parable says, you choose. Is life a gift or is life a test? You choose. It can be a gift or it can be a test. You'll you live, your, your soul will live. The weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is a soul that is so crippled and burdened and distraught and distressed with living like life is some sort of tightrope, some sort of test. Is life a gift or is life a test? You choose. But you can abandon your cynical ways and you can live that lion from the, in the pit of hell that it came from and you can live in the abundance and the ebullience of a God who loves to invite you constantly in the joy that He is experiencing. Is the universal glass half empty or half full? Apparently you choose. Is life rigged against you or is life rigged in your favour? You choose. You, make a, you can make a decision right now today in this moment. But I have a feeling that I am surrounded by a beautiful church that wants to live in the gracious gift that God has given us. This city is a gift. Your family is a gift. This church is a gift. Dare I say it, though he's annoying, your husband, he's a gift. Your children are a gift. Your next breath is a gift. Somehow your body has taken in oxygen, though you did nothing to do it. It somehow turns that oxygen into a blood that makes your heart beat, that makes your brain work and gives you an imagination and emotions. Your next breath is a gift. So let's abandon our cynical ways and live in the gift that God has given us. Are you with me? So with 56 left, seconds left on the clock, I'm going to give you three ways to do it. Are you ready? Number one, if you want to live like life is a gift, real simple, just live. 
the most sacred thing you have is right now. And now. And now. And now. It's the most sacred thing you have now. And now. Now. This moment right now. It's the, most, it's the only sacred thing you have. So let me illustrate practically. Some of you have candles in your house that you got Christmas 2009. <laughs> and they've been sat in your lounge for like the last 10 years and they've got that horrible, like dusty, waxy thing that you just can't clean. They just stayed like dusty. Go home. <laughs> tonight and burn the candle like what are you waiting for some of you some of you some of you have been waiting for like the perfect night in the husband hasn't annoyed you he's cooked you nicely and the kids went to bed on time and didn't disturb whatsoever you're waiting for the perfect thing on Netflix the cushions to be feng shui the, you know the, the, just the perfect night in the, the house to smell nice before you light the candle but there is no moment more perfect than the season you're about to have so go home light the candle what are you waiting for Seriously, some of you have like wedding plates and cutlery. They're still in the boxes that you got given them. You've been married for 89 years. And you've still never used your wedding cutlery and plates. Go home with the candle burning. Get some of that best southern fried chicken. Get, go up into your loft. Get out the boxes of wedding cutlery and plates. Go down into your kitchen and put that southern fried chicken on your best china and have the time of your life. Live, just live. Now is sacred. Now is sacred. Now is sacred. Now is sacred. Number two, just give. Generosity makes the world go round. When you are gen when you give something away, you are swept up in a spirit that makes this whole thing work. Just give. Just give. And number three, just laugh. Be a person, be a family, be a church that knows how to laugh. I want to be the easiest person in the city of Philly to make laugh. I don't care if the joke sucks. I want to laugh. Some of you need to go home this afternoon, wake your kids up from their nap and tickle them until they vomit. <laughs> I don't care if they're 29 years of age. <laughs> Go home, live, just give, just laugh. Let the spirit of laughter fill your house. Let the spirit of joy fill your house. Let the spirit of freedom fill this house. And let's live like life is a gift. Come on, if you, if you want to embrace life, life like it's a gift, let's jump to our feet and let's really celebrate the life that we've been given. Come on, for 20 seconds, begin to lift up a shout of praise. Come on with the breath that you've been given, with the vocal cords that you've been given, with the house that you've been given, and the people that you're sat around. Let's celebrate this life. Enter into joy. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information on our church, please go to www.embassycity.com. We would love to hear from you. Our prayer is that you have been inspired and transformed. Have a wonderful day and come back again.